Long ago, a 747 damaged by lightning attempted a crash landing over a dense jungle in Brazil. From the flames emerged a boy, a lone survivor, far from home, who began to feast on the plants and small creatures unlucky enough to cross his path. His skin turned an odd greenish hue, and his long, unkept hair turned a vivid orange, the shade of Gatorade. He grew strong in the crucible of the Amazon, and later became a champion at the Global Street Fighter Tournament, when a smallish older woman peeled from the crowd and recognized him from long before he became one with the jungle. Jimmy? She called out. Are you my long-lost son, Jimmy? But enough about my childhood already. Let's talk about the early days of the video game that shook the world, spawned a generational phenomenon that enshrined an entire genre, and left a permanent mark on the pop culture landscape. Street Fighter II. I'm JJJ, and this is a special edition of Ruminations of a Six-Button Samurai, right here on the Ruminations Radio Network, right now. Round one, fight! With me today to talk about how they met the World Warriors are Optimus of the Retro Futurist Culture Podcast, whom I literally met by selling him a VHS bootleg of the Street Fighter the Movie anime sometime in the middle 1990s. How are you, good sir? I'm doing great, sir. Uh, that was one hell of a day, and, and if it wasn't for that day, we probably wouldn't be here talking to each other now. And I still have that VHS tape that I did a custom logo on the side in a box somewhere going on a quarter of a century good sir yeah <laughs> <laughs> who did you main way back in the day you know i played a lot of you but i also played a lot of guile those were kind of the two i flipped back and forth uh right on for most of sf2 and then champ ed and turbo also did rue appeal to you because of your martial arts background uh at the time i had just gotten into judo but yeah i think because of that i was really looking at i was I was interested in that character because of that aspect, but I liked Guile just because he looked cool and his stage had cool music with an F-16. Everything's better with the Guile theme, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) We've also got Tony in the house of Tony's Tall Tales right here on the Ruminations Radio Network. How the heck are you, good sir? I'm great, man. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. (laughs) All right. And who did you main way back in the day? Yeah, it was probably Ken the most. He just, uh, Ryu was the popular choice, obviously, um, but I just liked Ken's style, and he had more of the fancy footwork, I think. <laughs> right. Oh, uh, absolutely. It's all about the, uh, the berserker madness and the footsies with Ken. Last but certainly not least, we've also got Brando of the Brevity Box podcast, also right here on RRN, another old-school fool with an itchy set of fighting fingers. What's cracking, Brando? Not a whole lot, man. I'm excited. This is uh, this was my introduction to competitive fighting games, and I still got great memories. And who did you main? to talk about it. Yeah? Oh, yeah. Who did you main back in the day? So back in the day, I started off with uh, Ken and Ryu and kind of kept it with uh, the Shotokan people for a while. Akuma mm-hmm. was my go-to at the end, but also in Street Fighter Four, for a while online, I was having a pretty good run with Zangief. Can I just inter- interject something? This is we need to set the record straight for the entire world. You and Ken do not do Shotokan. 
Nobody in the game does Shotokan except for Makoto in Street Fighter 3. There was a mistranslation. Ah. Even <laughs> Ken were heavily, heavily based on a lineage of Kyokushin fighters. I mean, the original art for Ryu was very much Masoyama himself, and then they changed it to one of Masoyama's students that actually went over and fought Thai boxers in Thailand. Somehow Capcom USA mistranslated it into Shotokan, which is the furthest thing from Kyokushin there is. I just had to drop that in. Wow, I did not know that. That's I'll that's go nuts on the first ones. That's my jam, you guys. For those that aren't intimately familiar with Hoptimus, um, you're now studying, what, your third or fourth martial art? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anytime I have a question about, like, some sort of authenticity issue as relates to a fighting game, uh, Hoptimus is the one that I will ask. And once I get my second shot, I can get back to the dojo myself. <laughs> For sure. Um, so I'm going to start off by sort of just talking about, like, the state I was in at the time back when this game dropped and why and, like, just what it represented. I mean, at the time this game dropped, which is the spring of 1991, um, I was much more of a shoot 'em up kid than anything else. Like, loved Gradius, loved, like, Thunder Force 3 on the Genesis, which had come out not very long before this. Um, you know, shooters and platformers were my jam, and I really didn't think so much about fighting games, even though, like, one of the first games I had for my NES was Kung Fu. Um, and I had played a little bit of Karate Champ, which I liked, but was, like, Extremely, extremely, extremely proto. The first fighting game that I really loved was a lesser-known Konami game called VR Kung Fu, which structurally is probably the closest thing before the original Street Fighter dropped in 1987 because you were essentially a Bruce Lee clone and there was this circuit of, like, nine different fighters that you had to fight and they all had, like, really different specific styles, like... There was a oddly chunly looking female named Star. There was a guy in yellow gi with nunchucks named Nunchaku. Uh, not terribly imaginative with the names of back in the day, but that was a game that like I played the heck out of because it was one of those first things where like I got good on it and I could actually make a quarter last relatively long. Um, and as far as my experience with the original Street Fighter. I appreciated what a relatively advanced game it was technically at the time it dropped because it had these really large sprites and it had really beautiful sprite work in it. Like the color palette in the game, everything was actually pretty top notch, but in terms of the feel of it and the actual gameplay, those elements of it were pretty unremarkable. I mean, it felt really pretty clunky so i had forgotten about street fighter entirely i was just like oh yeah that one game you know interesting looking didn't really do it for me kind of thing and maybe a week before i encountered street fighter 2 i had seen this issue of electronic gaming monthly and there was just this little blurb that was maybe a quarter page that had like six or seven tiny little screenshots and I was just in no way prepared for how this game was going to land like an atom bomb and completely blow up 
my day-to-day gaming life. The day we actually saw it, I was with my two best friends at the time, um, my Pakistani Mario Brothers homies. Um, and we encountered it at the long-defunct Goldmine Arcade in Central Tucson at the Elcon Mall. And I can just remember, like, this wasn't an era where video games, particularly, like, specific arcade games drew, drew a crowd. Like, there wasn't, like, one big super dominant hit, and there hadn't been for a while. But, like, there was, like, maybe seven people that were sort of crowded around this machine, and, like, one or two would always be playing... Um, competitive play wasn't an immediate thing yet because that hadn't taken hold yet, but we were all just trying to figure out like, what is this thing? Like, I mean, we were like the gorillas around the monolith in 2001, just like (laughs) looking at it and hopping up and down and grunting and looking for bones to throw at it. I mean, it was just, what is this wild, beautiful loud thing that has these unbelievable sound effects and crystal clear voice samples and these enormous colorful sprites. I mean, it just, you know, and the thing was, after I learned about it later on, I mean, I had been a huge fan of Final Fight. And it turned out that there were these really important ties between the creative people that made Final Fight and then later turned out Street Fighter II. And that that game was like a really pivotal thing in terms of making that game as impressive and, you know, just deep in terms of like gameplay and all of the subtlety and the things that were happening with the sprites. Um, So, yeah, I mean, that was basically it appeared one day and it really became this definitive thing for me where my life in that moment was going to be cleaved along two eras, the era before I played Street Fighter II and the era after in which whatever was happening with SF2 was going to have a direct effect on everything else I was going to play from that point forward. Um, Brando, let's go with you. What are What kind of things do you remember from your first real encounter with Street Fighter II? There's someone at Capcom Capcom that needs to have their wrists broken. And I'm going to tell you why. (laughs) Do any of you remember some of the arcade cabinets where the player two position had the joystick and buttons as we are to normally expect them, but player one had them mirrored? That wasn't Capcom's fault. Mm. Not at all. That was whatever arcade... uh, What do you call this guy's game, James? like an arcade tech the distributors yeah they yeah. would they would shell out these cabinets and just put something else in there and sometimes they didn't follow the standards but yeah, yeah that, i know what you mean that that made no sense so the first time no, I it actually, was annoying <laughs> the first time i played someone it was at the movie theater and i forget the name of it it was the movie theater at i-10 and grant back when it oh, was yeah. oh yeah And I remember there was a a girl about my age. It was like eight or nine years old when this happened. And she was playing on player two using Chun-Li. I put in my quarter, went, put in my quarter, noticed the bullshit mirrored player one controls. (laughs) And you had to cross your hands over? Well, I I tried normally for round one. I tried to cross over round two. It doesn't matter. She beat my ass three (laughs) times in a row. 
And then I ended up sitting next to her at the beginning of the next school year. Oh! So she talked some, she, she, she talked some shit about that. You dug a hole for yourself. I, I totally did. I'd never seen this person before at school. Beats my ass in the arcade. Oh, she's at the desk next to me now in fourth grade. Fun wow. stuff. <laughs> now that that was my that was my earliest uh, earliest exposure to it but you know i wanted to get better so every now and then at an arcade or maybe even a grocery store that had the arcade machine mm-hmm. you know i put in a quarter or two and just just see what i could do the competitiveness though came when the super nintendo versions came out which we can talk about later i guess yeah i mean that's the thing is this game was one of the very first games to sort of exist on this kind of crazy timeline, whereas like you all sort of grew and changed and sort of changed your tactics, changed whoever you mained. Like that we were all sort of evolving as like our own little like six button Pokemon trainers, right? Like we're all just trying to figure out how to navigate and, you know, navigate other players, you know, depending on, whichever arcade you happen to show up at. Like it really spawned this really strange and unique culture. Um, Tony, let's, uh, let's hear a tall tale about uh, <laughs> your real, real first experience before, with Street Fighter. Oh, go ahead. Tony go ahead you know? in. You're talking about weird culture. Uh, yeah. What was with the fucking quarters on the arcade cabinet? Why couldn't people just stand in a line behind everybody else? Because <laughs> then you couldn't see, Brando. You couldn't, you couldn't check out the fight. <laughs> Yeah. It's like, oh, but that's I, my quarter. No, that's my quarter. How did you know whose quarter it actually was? Well, and it was funny because that was a wide enough spread phenomenon that when Champ Ed came out, it actually had the little quarter rack built into it. Oh, that's ridiculous. Like one through nine, you could stack them. Oh, like, cool. It was just a thing that, that happened, you know? Uh, I mean, you. Could, I think somebody could write like a, I think somebody could write like a thesis paper on like the sociology of Street Fighter Two and like yeah, all totally. these gestures and like what the, that's why I mean the gorilla and monolith thing like really sticks with me because we all are just like how do we do this kind of thing. Yeah, it was uh, a very interesting social uh, aspect, like you were mentioning, and I was thinking about that too when when you guys were talking that it really was almost online gaming before online gaming started. There's very that mm-hmm. social aspect of it where you're going to an arcade and you're actually around other people that are playing the same game. Um, mm-hmm. And I remember that arcade. Um, unfortunately, arcades were kind of a luxury for me growing up just because I, <laughs> I was in the sticks. I don't know if you guys uh, know where Littletown is at, but I used to live. It's where Valencia uh, meets Interstate 10. Gross. And it's, yeah, and it's behind the Pima Air and Space Museum. So I used to live there. And so even Elkhorn Mall was a truck for me uh, to get there. Um, so you really had to like commit to a journey that day yes. if you were going to get out and play some SF2. Yeah, and I think, I think that's why, too, some of my arcade memories are, might be a little bit more fuzzier than the, the console because I didn't have the amount of time that I think a lot of other people did uh, during that time when it came out arcade first. Um, so obviously I'd heard about it. I think I got to see it a few times and then same thing too. I was uh, a constant voracious reader of EGM game pro game fan during that time. So mm-hmm. obviously, you know, heard about it, saw the, the excitement and it just, yeah, I just remember that being like a very cool, exciting time 
Did you at least have like a convenience store not too far away that you could practice at? Not really. I mean, not a convenience store that had it. Um, okay. It's still too, I think at that time, they were still, they were, they were expensive, right? Mm -hmm. and not a lot of people had them and you're always worried about them, you know, breaking down or, you know, that whole thing where like the only the one player, the two player control would work and you can never get the coin in or it would eat your quarters. <laughs> Yeah, well, that was just a uh, that was a hazard of the media. Yeah, <laughs> different operators really had wildly different concepts of yes. like what constituted a functioning coin op cabinet. Uh, that was definitely part of you know why the scene eventually died off, as we know later on. Hoptimus. Oh man, um, let's start with the prequel. The prequel being. When I was about nine or ten, do you remember the Smiths that was on first? Uh, yes. First and Roger. They mm -hmm. had a pretty cool little side room with coin op cabs, and they had lots of Capcom arcade machines. Whoever their distributor was had a raging hard on for Capcom cabinets because they always <laughs> had the latest Capcom. They also had an R type cabinet there. That's a, that's a story for another time. Hot. But yeah, <laughs> um, I had become well versed in capcom's games on my nes and the logo and then playing like strider and ghouls and ghosts in the arcade stuff like that and one day this game showed up at the smiths called street fighter the, the first street fighter and it didn't have i had seen it at i think golf and stuff had the one with the giant giant analog buttons mm -hmm. two big buttons you had to smash the one at smiths had the six buttons and i was like whoa this game has a lot of buttons and just watching the screen i was like this looks cool like the huge sprites like you were saying with the file um i would always dump a couple quarters in that that game was hard so mm -hmm. hard um so fast forward 1991 i'm in it was either the summer of uh eighth grade or my freshman year in high school when sf2 dropped and it was kind of like when i saw it i was like i remember this like it had been four or five years but i had remembered the first one and immediately just threw quarters in it and just started playing i i want like say, the unix system yeah i want to say <laughs> <laughs> i want to say it was either at the circle k by my high school or across the street or the uh, tonio's pizza that was right there one of those was the first place that i saw street fighter 2 in, and it was one of those things where on lunch break everybody went off campus all of the um all the guys I hung out with, we would we wouldn't eat lunch. We would just go play Street Fighter Two. It's awesome. Yeah, and then it became a daily ritual, and then that 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 started the obsession. Mm -hmm. that game. The thought about a pizza place with arcade games just gave me a massive nostalgia boner. Right, uh, right, right. Yeah, Peter. Piper yeah, I can pizza. remember. I seem to recall that the round table pizza that was over there close to flowing well. Yeah, that was near mm -hmm. my near mm -hmm. the area I was I was in at the time. Yeah. Yeah, that seemed to have like a lot of arcade games. And so like yeah, that was oh, all these things that don't exist anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unless you go downtown to Cobra. Right. And that's <sighs> we can talk about that later on. <laughs> no, I mean it's an interesting thing now to like, even though sometimes these things are still available, like, I, I mean, I know how I am about like my own set of controls. Like I 
have to know that the thing that I'm playing on fucking works. You know what I mean? And so, like, if I go to a place like that and even one of the machines I happen to have a, a bad experience on, it's like a major drag, right? Like, it just completely will, like, drain all the energy out of whatever it was that you were hoping to experience or have fun with upon going there. See, it's really funny you mentioned that. That's why I thought those original Street Fighter 1 arcade cabinets were so stupid is because the rare time I came across one in the world, the buttons were broke as shit. Was it the two-button model or the the six? Okay. See, and that even blows me away, like, just... It just, I think it just underlines like what a proto idea that was at the time, because you can almost imagine like, and I, I, have, I have no evidence of this. I've never read like a transcript or anything, but like, was that an argument within Capcom where it was like, hey, let's produce this really strange gargantuan model with two pressure sensitive buttons on either side, because it'll be a gimmick and that'll burn quarters, right? And then maybe some other producers of the same game being like, well, we designed it with these six levels of attack. You know what I mean? Like, it's bizarre to me that, like, there were two different machines for the same game with differing controls. Like, that's wild. Yeah. You know what I mean? But again, it just goes to show, like, uh, just what what an embryonic idea that was at the time because like there was there was nothing else that had like that many attack buttons at the time like what makes makes me wonder then too if that was ever was there ever a definitive answer that came from that of as to like what why that existed i've never heard of it i've never heard an explanation for it i really just in just thinking about like the business end of it like you can see how people would have been like, oh, well, it's going to be this fun gimmicky thing that like how hard you push the buttons will like change the attacks in the yeah. game. Even though like, I think very few of those actually work anymore. I think most people pounded those buttons into oblivion. So, oh. But it really does speak to the time and place, you know, like mm-hmm. experiencing that at the time that we all experienced it. And then, yeah, looking at it now how because you know if you've been in it for so long the expectations are a little bit different but also too you've got more investment in it for over a longer period of time so we're not as maybe um forgiving if that's the right Right. word um Mm -hmm. just because you you've been with it for so long where it's like you have a certain level of quality of expectation of quality right as we've grown and also to experience different iterations of it yeah, I mean, that's another thing why in talking about, like, Cobra, I mean, I love what they do and I love what they're aiming for, but at the same time, it's like, I'm so picky about that experience, you know what I mean? Yeah. And if something isn't super clean and works, like, 100%, I'm just going to be like, uh, you know? Yeah. It's kind of it's brutally unfair when you sit and, and ponder it for very long. So... It's funny because I have some trivia questions made and Bring it on. one of them we've literally already answered. <laughs> so my first trivia question is the original Street Fighter cabinets had two different sets of controls. One was six buttons, just like the sequel. Describe what the other one was like. Good job, crew. <laughs> um, all right. 
this one is easy and you're all going to know this, but I'm going to say it anyway. There was a famous April Fool's Day trick in Electronic Gaming Monthly describing how to find a fake hidden boss character in Street Fighter 2. Fucking EGM. What was his name and what did his name really mean? It was Sheng Long. Mm-hmm. I forgot what, his I, name I forget what it actually meant. Dragon Punch. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> That's right, because one of Ryu's victory quotes was, you must defeat, must defeat Shen Long. Which so. was a mistranslation of the Japanese kanji. Somebody at Capcom USA translated the Chinese version. That's what I'm saying. There's, so, there's some serious snafus in the translation of that. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, you can almost look at Champion Edition now and see it as like a director's cut of that right. game because so much mm -hmm. of it was absolutely rushed out the door. Right. I mean, look at Chun Li's weird gold dress in the ending, portrait right. in the game. Yeah. In the portrait and the oh, ending. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I wonder, like, was that sprite gold for a while in the betas? And then they like, then oh, they the blue looks better. Change it at the last minute. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Could be. I don't know. It's interesting now. Like if you go back and play that original game, like there's a lot of weird stuff like that. It's kind of it's kind of great to discover again. All right, next trivia question. After Street Fighter, but before Street Fighter 2, Capcom released a smash hit called Final Fight, whose development would prove critical in making SF2 the game it became. What was Final Fight's original working title? Me. Street Fighter 89. Yep. Oh, wow. <laughs> Do I win? <laughs> you win. Is this you like win. when we used to play Star Wars Review Pursuit? <laughs> yes. A little bit. Well, that game definitely turned out better than Street Fighter 2099 on the NES. <laughs> oh, man, that game got a bad reputation, but it was kind of fun. Like, it was an interesting video game unto itself. Right. Just if you had any expectations based on the name Street Fighter, you were right. come away happy. Wasn't it a totally separate thing they just slapped the Street Fighter IP onto? Yeah, I think so. I think, yeah, I think, I think it, it was developed as something else. So it, it was the diehard with a vengeance of the Street Fighter franchise. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's, a, that's a pretty great comparison. All right. Can you recall the code that would allow you to select the same characters with Champion Edition colors in the 1992 SNES version of Street Fighter 2? Wait, oh, wait, wait, wait. Here, help me out here. Were there two separate Street Fighter 2 releases on the SNES? OG and there was three. Edition? Well, there was SF2, there was SF2 Turbo, and there was Super SF2 on the SNES. Okay, all right. Then, but the very know. first version had a code. Mm. I, I remember the beginning of it, but I can't remember the whole thing. Okay. What I want to say it was like down, right button, up, left button, YB, start, something like that. See, so here's the thing. Japanese version, down, right, up, left, YB. U.S. version, down, right, up, left, YB, XA. Wow. So you had it. Yeah, I think I well because I had I had the Super Family version. First. Okay. <laughs> there it is then. Quite the quite the humble brag there. Wow. Nice. <laughs> I oh god, when that game came out, oh god, we we were up all night playing it at a Circle K anyway, and this was in my first car, which was this big piece of shit Buick. Dude, I love that car. 
I almost died well, like, in it once, but I love that car. See, here's the thing. Like, <laughs> I literally used to deliver the paper in in Hoptimus's neighborhood. So he had seen me driving through his neighborhood <laughs> before we were hanging out, which is really funny and weird. But that's also like that's a hella Tucson thing. Like if I've ever heard that, it. really is because you know this town is very small. Um, Biggest little city on the planet, indeed. <laughs> So, uh, next trivia question. The 16-bit home console versions of Street Fighter II and its variants all had to compromise on the original coin-op's three bonus stages. The car, the rolling wooden barrels, and the, fl- and the pyramid of flaming oil drums. <laughs> Which was the only version that kept the rolling wooden barrel stage? No, no. Bueller? Oh no, dude! It's after playing so many of them, they all kind of blur together. I'm like, <laughs> hint: this version did not come out in the U.S. Oh, oh, that would be the PC Engine edition then. Yep, the PC Engine, aka Turbo Graphics, which Street Fighter Two Champion I Edition also had wow. the crazy six button pad that cost a fortune. Mm-hmm. It's not a humble brag. That's I spent a lot of money on stuff. <laughs> Tell me how you grew up rich without telling me you grew up rich. Dude, I'm kidding. Nope. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That was straight up hustling. <laughs> yeah, I, I owned all kinds of shit in that time that I shouldn't have, but I did not grow up rich either. It was just like there was also a lot of shit. There was also a lot of bookman's runs. Well, I'm not mm. playing all these games anymore. Well, yeah. hawk these and order me some stuff from uh, Japan video. Yep. Oh, yeah, wow. there was a there was a functional economy in terms of like moving on to that next next uh, dose of digital smack. Yeah, All right, so the last guess? trivia question to round out this mighty fine episode before we go to our last thoughts. There was a famous glitch in the original Street Fighter II coin up. What was it? Who could do it? And what happened if time ran out while this glitch was deployed? Man, I know what you're talking about. I know it exists, but I don't remember a damn thing about it. <laughs> Arcade. It had to do with one of the characters that you guys main. I I remember a few, but I don't remember the specific. Okay, so the most famous one was the Guile handcuffs. Oh yeah, which would yeah, cause yeah, the yeah. other character to get stuck to him while frozen. Now, one of the people that I used to play with way back in the day was this guy who worked at Captron by the name of Dave. Oh, I was going to say Dave used to do this, didn't he? <laughs> uh-huh. Does it sound like a Dave thing? Yes. So what he would do, he would go on some absolutely brutal tear, playing Guile, you know, run up like 40 or 50 wins. Jeez. And then, just to put the cherry on the Sunday. He would execute the handcuff glitch, which meant that the game would just sit there and he would leave. And the game would just be frozen with the guile stuck to this other character. Like, that was like his signature finish. Wow. Uh huh. <laughs> like, this game just. <laughs> it produced all kinds of strange things and strange individuals. Like,. I don't know. It just it had this unbelievably weird, compelling sort of thing. People just found it like one more weird canvas upon which to express themselves. You know what I mean? Wow. 
Uh, so at any rate, are you guys ready um, for a little uh, drop of n- nostalgia here? Yeah. Pull up the appropriate Discord channel. Who else had this? Oh, I remember. <laughs> uh, I remember looking at it. I never owned the Game Pro Strategy Guide. I owned that thing and I read it until the cover fell off. Right. Oh, oh yeah. Oh. In my desperate attempt to be better than my grade school friends. <laughs> I think I had whatever. There was an EGM issue that had a bunch of tips in it from. Uh, sushi x and those guys wow diehard game fan <laughs> do some and and you would hear you would learn people would that was the cool that was that social aspect that tony was bringing out later like you would go and see somebody do something like how'd you do that and they would tell you like oh shit and yeah. like and you would like certain combos like when, or they would not tell you first yeah. right, or they or they wouldn't <laughs> tell you right sometimes they'd be jerks uh-huh. when the game first hey, came out hey, everybody's just I trying was that to jerk <laughs> when the game first came out everybody was just trying to figure out how to do the special moves and once you do the special moves you saw some guy do like the six hit guy cross up mm. that would put you in the stars you're like how did you do that <laughs> holy crap and then you would practice it you know till your fingers bled mm-hmm. um stuff like that yeah that was that cool social aspect for everybody and they'd be like oh man look at that and people would, people would i remember in high school sometimes there would be there would be the one guy that could beat everybody and when somebody beat him it was like a major event yeah. <laughs> i'm gonna tell my children about this day and that that's i mean that era i mean this kind of again uh at uh loop loops has brought up is kind of how i met i think this the street fighter gangs we all congregated at certain places where there was more competition, right? So the the Street Fighter Two, this would be a year later, the Street Fighter Two champion machine at golf and stuff, or at the mm. U of A Mall. Oh, golf! The bats were like the be. serious, the the hardest of hardcore Street Fighter players were, and that's where mm-hmm. you see the really high level stuff going down. Yeah, the Sam's Place arcade at the U of A. Oh, dude! Yeah, was that, that like, was because you had you also had like a whole lot of kids coming in from other countries that were really effing good at games. Like just, I remember I used to watch this Japanese college student who was older than I was, and he could regularly one CC final fight. Jeez. Like relentlessly. He just had the Cody jabs of doom, jab, 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 turn, jab, 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 turn on lockdown and he would just motor through the entire game on one quarter and i remember just being in absolute awe and that's just you know that's kind of a thing i guess twitch is like the closest approximation of that now right like we sort of watch other people to see like how they perform in the same games that we have and you know how they go about things but like yeah there was an absolute magic to sort of seeing somebody you hadn't seen before in an arcade like that and then play the game in a completely different way that just sort of blew your mind yeah so i got a, I question, for, I got a question for you guys go for it brando out of any any version of street fighter one through five if anybody was actually played five <laughs> what was your favorite way to finish somebody off like the biggest rub it in their face move you could pull off Mine worked in Street Fighter 4 and Marvel vs. Capcom 3 really well. If I was playing Akuma and somebody jumped backwards to get away from me, if the timing and the spacing was just right, as soon as they land, they get hit by that raging demon. 
Yeah. And it really felt like rubbing someone's face in it. it felt oh, really yeah. good. The coup de gras. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you have one, Hop? Uh, I don't know if I ever like really gravitated toward one in the Street Fighter saga. I mean, I I love to in Super SF2 Turbo to finish people off with DJs. I, I had like a signature combo with his super with his slide kick, his juggle, and then you go into his super uh, sidekick thing because you could get mm-hmm. a ton of hits, and it was really humiliating <laughs> for them. Um, I mean, really, as a side note, my all-time favorite, the one game that I will just wait for that super bar for the last minute just because I think it's hilarious and awesome, and that's in the Darkstalker slash Vampire games where I take Lord Raptor and he does the basketball slam to you. That's my all-time favorite <laughs> finishing move of all time. I had a feeling that was going to Shout out to somehow. Eddie Tang if he's listening. Love you, buddy. <laughs> he got so mad at me for that. One of these days I'll get an Xbox again. I have to wolf a windmill toss you out of a ring in Virtua Fighter. Yeah. Hey, man, Tony Tony, and Loops and I are ready for you, bro. Let's do it. <laughs> Tony, did you have a signature finish? I wouldn't call it maybe a finish not signature but, but something that you pulled off that just made you feel like a total badass yeah whatever it, it happened yeah. yeah it was third strike um not unfortunately not with street fighter 2 i just was never patient enough I, well and that and fighting james fighting games in general that was my problem was always being patient enough to to adapt and change um i was always oh, always wanted to go toe-to-toe and just pummel somebody but uh canon third strike had some badass like footwork moves and that and i think there was one where he uh it's almost like a crescent kick where he would go he would go he'd go mid but then he would go the shifu jinrai kyaku yeah 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 and i just sometimes i would always i don't know what it was about that game and about him in that game but i could really pull that off uh consistently and um yeah it seemed to seemed to put me on the edge on a lot of matches I was never much for like a finishing flourish, but the one Street Fighter series game that I did actually develop one with was Chun-Li in Street Fighter Alpha 2. She had a taunt that would actually take damage, Mm. but it would only do one pixel worth. And that was her little, the apology with her hand out. So... It was slow, and it only hit high, and again, it would only do one pixel of damage, so you had to be really sure that you were going to wipe out your opponent with it, because otherwise, you would look stupid, and you would probably open yourself up to get smoked. I'm not going to lie. If somebody beat me that way, I'd probably never play the game again. (laughs) Dude, there were some nights on that game. Well, there were two characters in that game, if I remember correctly, that had flourishes like that or taunts that would actually take damage. Chun-Li and Sakura had one as well with her little pointing finger that would also do one little pixel worth of damage. That's absolutely one of my favorite entries in the entire series. So at any rate, speaking of flourishes, I believe our work is finished here. Um... This was an absolutely lovely trip down memory lane. It made me sort of think about a lot of wonderful things that I hadn't thought about in a really long time. So I want to thank all of my guests on today's show. 
Tony from Tony's Tall Tales, Brando from the Brevity Box Podcast, and of course, Optimus from the Retro Futurist Culture Podcast. All of these here on the Ruminations Radio Network. Thank you so much for tuning in. We will see you on the next, or we will you'll hear oh, We're doing Champ Ed next, this, right? Yes. And then Turbo. We're going to do a weekly segment. Yeah, we're just going to do each game. Okay. In the entire series, Let's every week until like 2025. You got you got a whole year of content plan. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks for coming on, guys. You guys have a terrific day. You too. Thanks, man. Peace, peace, folks. Bye, bye. What's up, gang? This is Hoptimus. You've been listening to one of the great new podcasts from Ruminations Radio Network. If you want some more tasty sound vibes, come check out my new podcast, The Retro Futurist Culture, where we talk about alternate timelines, cyberpunk, anime, and other crazy worlds. If that does not strike your fancy, we have plenty of other great shows at RuminationsRadioNetwork.com.